Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside media executive Grail Hallett and soccer journalist and OTB producer Sam Griswold, uh, famous for Meet the Grisballs. All right, today on OTB, our guest, executive editor of Soccer America, Mike Wojtola, will be joining us. He's a returning champion, as it were. We'll get caught up with Mike. It's always great talking to him and also speaking about soccer and American soccer in particular overseas. Uh, a lot of young American guys over there kicking butt. Had a great week. We're going to talk about that a lot here today with Mike and uh, with the guys. But guys, first up, before we get started on all this, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Grail? I will try to be as succinct as possible, which you know for me is very difficult. Um, what I'm over is players making the terrible calculation to commit a red card foul that ends up having them sent off and basically neuters their team for the rest of the match. Case in point, Christensen in the 45th minute of the Chelsea-Liverpool match basically mugged Mane on a breakaway. Keppa was coming out. You had no idea if Keppa was going to get there, if a goal was going to be scored. Yeah. Takes him down, red card, you know, obvious scoring chance, so automatic red card and basically has his team playing with 10 men for the rest of the 45 minutes. My, my point is, just as a defender, as any player, see how it plays out, because you don't know if he's going to score, and by taking yourself off the pitch for the, the, the entire second half, you've basically blown the game for your team. All right, so obviously you did not enjoy watching Chelsea play on Saturday or Sunday. I just, but, but guys, you, you, we all played. We've been in that position. Yeah, I've but, never, I have never taken somebody down in a situation like that and j- just determined that that was the right action to take. Yeah, because but that's because you never got goal side. So, <laughs> no, here, no here, here's, here's the thing, though. That seems like an outdated play. Like, th- that used to be the way you took a guy down because he was going to – a definite scoring opportunity. But uh, the rules have changed. You're off the pitch. You know, it's not tackled. Just a, he tackled him. Yeah. <laughs> not a ta- like it was a rugby tackle is what he Well, said. and at first he didn't get red carded. We only got no, a yellow VAR card. to the rescue. But was there a more obvious red card than that one? It was ridiculous. I couldn't even believe the referee didn't just to give a straight red. He had to go to the VAR. So anyway, um, I'm sorry it wrecked your viewing pleasure for the oh, report. Hallett. Drove me crazy. Sam, what are you over today? Yeah, this, I mean, this is very minor, but um, I'm over these ads for games that show highlights from when there were fans in the stadium to try to get you pumped. (laughs) So, you know, you get this weekend Sassuolo versus, you know, Sampdoria, and you're seeing these highlights of them playing in front of a full stadium, scoring goals, celebrating in front of the, the Curva at the end. Uh, and then you're sort of hit with the harsh reality that actually there's not going to be anybody there. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Sam, you'd rather have full honesty. You want a promo with just crickets in the background. Be honest with your advertisements. <laughs> trying to generate some, come, some come watch. Come watch a very depressing match where there will be no sound. <laughs> so, well, I am over uh, the fact that I, am, uh, I was not voted into the Hall of Fame. I believe that oh, the ballots uh, so close. They weren't counted accurately. It's a hoax, a miscarriage of justice. I will not acknowledge these results, and I will consider myself in the Hall of Fame. No, um, just make it a little. Just hey, Flinny. So you know, I put my my vote for you in in a uh, Dropbox, so I know that it got there safely. Yeah. Obviously, illegal immigrants and Muslims stole (laughs) my ballots and did not. Of course. Yes. 
Um, no, I'm over this Peacock thing. I'm bumming because, look, you know, finally we have great soccer, great football on air, right? And we're watching these games, and a whole generation of new Americans are watching soccer, and they're really seeing great soccer, at, you know, these great players at the top of their games. And what do they do now? ESPN puts stuff on ESPN3. And NBC, with their fantastic coverage of the Premier League, then suddenly puts the Liverpool game on, on Peacock. You know, so it's sort of like, I know that's the future, but um, it seems like we're missing out on the present a little bit. But, of course, it worked, uh, Grail. Because you yeah, need yeah, people know I, I signed up because I wanted to see the Liverpool game in Chelsea. So Look, it's, it's yeah, it, funny. It's a business. It's all about driving subscriptions. That's how they get their revenue. So they will dangle anything they have to. It was no, when I worked on the magazine side of the business, you know, Sports Illustrated would give away premiums with subscriptions. So in addition to getting your subscription, you got a triple XL sweatshirt and a commemorative issue of whatever. I mean, it's all about locking people in and uh, they're just going to, you know, over the next three to six months, they'll do this. And then at some point, I think the big matches will migrate back onto NBC and NBC Sports Network. But for now, it's, they've invested a boatload of money into Peacock. They'll be damned if they don't get subscribers to sign up. This yeah, is I, I think one, one thing to remember is how fortunate we've been. I mean, we went from having almost no soccer on TV to having more soccer on TV than you get in England or, you know, Italy, yeah. um, which is kind of crazy. And now I think this is sort of readdressing that balance. Um, I do think it's kind of a shame for the, you know, quote unquote casual supporter because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, for the Premier League is, you know, that's kind of the realm I fall into. And, you know, I was like, oh, I know Liverpool and Chelsea are playing today. Like, I'll throw it on for a minute while I'm, you know, have nothing to do. Um, And, uh, you know, they're, you know, I couldn't get it. And, you know, I'm certainly not going to invest in any streaming service. So um, I do think they are going to lose out on some some viewers in that. I think the calculation, though, Sam, is like four ninety nine a month. You know, but basically a Starbucks coffee to get as much soccer as you want for a month. That's the you know, it's at a price point that for most people, most of my friends have signed on to Peacock and ESPN Plus, and mm-hmm. that you know. But you're right. But they're more soccer people. Hey, so yeah. added bonus though, I watched the Liverpool Chelsea game, but then I got to watch uh, Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, which I've uh, I'm enjoying. Very good, uh, very good nice. show. Nice, good plug there, Flay. <laughs> you with the triple XL Sports Illustrated sweatshirt. Who, uh, <laughs> who's wearing the triple XLs at your prom date? That's uh... <laughs> no. They used to always have those, and then of course the most famous premium was the SI sneaker phone. You might have remembered that. That was like in the late 80s. I've Dan got one. remember that. He wasn't born yet. No, well, so I, I actually, I actually, uh, I have one boxed up somewhere. And uh, oh, there's, the, a, there's uh, a collector's item. No, it, I think, I, I think the, uh, the rate of failure on that phone from a technology standpoint was like 70%. Like, oh, yeah. So only 30% of those phones that were shipped out. And Sam, they were a plug-in phone that was the shape of a sneaker. It was like something out of the show, Get Smart. And the dial was on the sole of the sneaker. And it just sat on your side table. It was so hideous. All right, so talking about the big news, the American players oversee, we had a big, big week, uh, a great weekend there. Um, Sam, talk about Weston McKinney. I mean, 90 minutes for Juventus. Uh, That's a big deal in his debut. Talk a little bit about that and the media reaction to it over there. Yeah, so this was a big surprise for a few reasons. Uh, I mean, all eyes were on Juve because they're the champions, uh, you know, for one, uh, and also because Pirlo was making his debut as coach. Um, and he ran out a really, 
you know, kind of surprising starting lineup. Uh, people didn't even know what formation, you know, he was going to play. It was all very secretive. Um, yeah. But yeah, McKenney ended up playing in the middle in this three-five-two as like a holding defensive midfielder. And it was funny because, you know, following it a little bit on Twitter, the, the initial reaction was very negative to the team he ran out there, not just to McKenney's inclusion, but in general. Um, and then as the game went on, you know, it changed and Juve went on to win three zero pretty easily. And McKenney had a great game in the midfield. And I don't know if you guys do this too, but I always have this worry that, you know, an American playing on a team like Juve is going to look out of place and everything. And this was absolutely, you know, couldn't have been farther from what happened. Um, and cool. the, let, let me ask you this, Sam, before you, yeah. before you run a little bit. Do you think Pirlo, because it surprised a lot of people. I mean, look, we were talking mm-hmm. about him going to Southampton, and then he, he goes to Juventus at the end of the day. Pirlo must have played against him in MLS, must have known him, and he knows that he was a known quantity. Probably that's why he had such faith in him. He'd seen him play, played against him, probably. Um, possibly. I don't know about that. But um, the biggest difference, it seems like, between this Juve and Sadi's Juve from a year ago is that this team is very much about playing a fluid game kind of all over the field. And it wants to play straight up and that it wants to play one-on-one defensively rather than defend as a group, which was all, you know, Sari's very, very tactical approach. Um, and I think McKenney fits that role very well because he, tover- he covers a ton of ground in the midfield. Um, and he, for that position, I think is better than maybe even some of the guys they have who you would think are more skilled, like Artur came in from Barcelona and even Rodrigo Bentancur, who was, you know, a real stud in the midfield last year for them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, you know, as the game went on, you know, Twitter, Twitter's, um, you know, reaction changed notably and he was getting a lot of props after the game. He was being called, you know, like a cult hero. Uh, someone said he was like Arturo Vidal, but with more muscle. I mean, that was in Gazzetta dello Sport. That's the main <laughs> Italian sports newspaper. So, you know, he was getting a lot of props. Um, and it was all really cool to see. The only thing I would caution is that this was against Sampdoria, who are yeah. one of the worst teams in Serie A, were almost relegated a year ago have basically not invested in their team at all over the summer. So I think there's a, well, summer, whatever the, you know, last few, yeah, whatever we season we're in. Who knows um, so I, you know, I, I, I say this all with caution, but he had a very, very, you know, positive start. And just the fact that he was on the field, you know, starting was, uh, was, was fantastic. Well, I think he was also playing where I like to see him play that sort of holding, uh, you know, defending midfielder. Yeah, absolutely. Because as I mentioned last week, there was some talk that he may even be used uh, as a defender in a back three. And I think as American fans, we want to, we want to see him, you know, really settle into that central role. So, so this could end up being a much better situation for him, Sam, than playing under a sorry. Uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. 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 I think well, Perler obviously had a relationship with him as he brought him in. I mean, that that's, you know, the, the DNA of that, of that pickup. So also in Germany, uh, Gio Reyna uh, started for uh, Borussia Dortmund and uh, scored the goal. Nice little, uh, you know, tighten the box goal stuff there. So um, some new, some players are, are doing it overseas. Tyler Adams was impressive in the central midfield for Leipzig in their 3-1 win over Mainz. And then Chris Richards saw action for Bayern Munich in a blowout grill, huh? Eight zip over, over Schalke. I mean, eight nil. I mean, I can't imagine starting starting your season with an eight nil thumping. Uh, Gnabry had a hat trick. You know, it was just. It was honestly like I was just watching Bayern Munich, a continuation of what we saw last year. Just total domination, and um, 
just just impressive. I mean, they they just have a system in place right now, and they're playing with such confidence that they're going to be very tough to beat. You know, Paul Kennedy did a great job in Soccer America sort of tracking down what American did last week. And, you know, some some really familiar names, obviously, with McKenney and Raina and Adams but, uh, and Richards. But uh, some other names maybe people are not too familiar with. Emmanuel Stabi and Henry Wingo. They scored in Denmark and Norway, uh, respectively. And Joe Effort added another one for Belgian club. So, um, you know, players are there. So not everybody's in the high profile spots overseas and in Europe, but, uh, but they're getting, they're getting playing time. And I think that's going to, going to fill out the national team a little bit, or at least make things a little more competitive. Like Eric Lachey is, um, he came out in the second half for a, a, a Turkish club as well. So there's, there's some people in the stable this year. So it's going to be fun to watch the national team play. Yeah, It'll be interesting to talk to Mike about that funny, because, you know, Berhalter's squad could be, you know, 70% different than it was six months ago based on the way guys are playing. Right. Right. Exactly. So also, Sam, I wanted to ask you about this, uh, an Iowa, an American from Iowa. That's in America, by the way. Sounds like a movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, he bought uh, Kyle Krause. He bought uh, Parma. Another Italian team is owned by an American, um, you know, family, basically. What, what's that all about? Yeah, so th- this makes it now four clubs in Serie A uh, that are American-owned. Um, this guy, Kyle Krause, who is basically runs his family business called the Krause Group, which owns some, you know, chain of convenience stores across the Midwest that I've never heard of. Um, well, good luck to him. I've seen a lot. There's a lot of Krauses around. Yeah. Um, he's also the owner of the Des Moines menace of the USL. So he does have some soccer background. Um, <laughs> that's an appropriate name for this era, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> really, the, whole, the whole era is a menace. Whole, um, is a menace. And uh, this guy had apparently been looking into buying a team in Italy for some time. Um, despite his last name, I think his mother is uh, of Italian descent. So he does have some connection to Italy. Um, yeah. I mean, he seems very, you know, optimistic and involved you know he got right over there you know had this big presentation and you know the general sort of reception these guys get is is usually pretty positive um especially for a team like parma which had you know not been in the best shape financially uh fiorentina who had you know a new american owner last year with comiso were also in kind of a similar shape um so to some extent, they're given this kind of hero's welcome. I mean, you see American flags, I mean, when they're fans in the stadium all over the place in Florence now. Um, you know, but they all seem to come in again with this, like, sort of untethered optimism, like, I'm going to build a new stadium, I'm going to redo this. And, um, you know, then after a year or two, the, the vibe starts to change a little bit when they realize <laughs> that, you know, every single building in Italy is protected by some ancient, you know, code and you can't change a seat without, you know, approval from Rome or something. So what Jimmy Pilata ran up against in Rome, right? Yeah, absolutely. And he, and he sold, he sold Roma the summer to another American. And Mike, Mike Piazza. Do you remember when Mm -hmm. Mike Piazza brought the Italian club with all the fanfare? And then that turned into a disaster. I think he ended up being sued. Yeah. He kind of got the fan by the fan organization. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of got ran out of town. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know, as, as a Serie A follower and supporter, you know, I think inevitably, like, foreign money is going to have to play a role if, if the Serie A wants to compete on the global scale. Right. Um, you know, I think it's a little sad when these teams pass into foreign hands. I mean, you know, it's not – the Premier League, I think, has 14 foreign owners now. I, I think the number in Italy is at six. Um, so it's not quite at that level. But, um, 
you know, at, at least it's someone with a, Italian connections on some level. So hopefully they'll be passionate and be involved and, you know, be on the ground. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, I read the news, uh, a fifth division Welsh club is going to be bought by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney. <laughs> what is, uh, either of you guys it's, take the question. It, what yeah, is the, it, well, it's just, that you know, it's, it's so you can say you're an owner. You know, right. you could also buy the local, uh, you know, Applebee's or something and say you're an owner. But yeah, I, I just think soccer, I mean, it's a testament to soccer. I think that it's it's kind of reached that status of being a sexy thing to own, you know, and obviously LeBron was one of the first big stars who has an ownership stake in Liverpool, right? I mean, that's of a much greater magnitude. But I think, you know, going back three, four years, this became kind of a, an in thing. And I think soccer in general among the Hollywood set is kind of a sexy thing to be a part of. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not going to make a lot of money owning a fifth, you know, a fifth division club in the UK. I mean, you can be a writer. Yeah, I'm I'm an owner. (laughs) Yeah. Some sort of tax play or something is in there. You have fun and you you have to lose some money every year for your tax purposes. So uh, let's talk a little EPL. Uh, Felt bad for your grail with that Chelsea loss. (sighs) To Liverpool, I thought Liverpool looked good. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I think they looked better than Chelsea even before the sending off. So. Well, I won't, I won't relive the sending off because that was just too difficult. But that uh, was a tackle, man. It was like a. Well, a, I mean, it, it, I mean, the, the thing is, it's hard for me to even measure the two teams based on what happened in that match because you had Chelsea play with ten men for the entire second half, and you know, if you're playing against Burnley or Fulham, it's one thing, but you're playing against a one of the top two teams in the world, it's a matter of time. And then Keppa, their keeper, who's just been a disaster, gifted, just kicked the ball right to Mane, you know, eight, eight yards in front of the goal, gave it up. I mean, so Grail, that that's this is what, you know, Zach Stefan had a battle. Everybody's trying to play out of the back with their keeper. So Well he's also I, I just I, you know you have to be able to play with your with the feet and But one part of me, Flynn, he does feel sorry for Keppa because he is so you can see he has no confidence. Yeah. You know, they, the, the, the rumors are that they're going to bring in the, the, uh, the keeper from Mendy, I think, from Rem in France. And, you know, so his days are numbered and he just he looks like he's afraid of his own shadow right now. But it was just of all the games to do it in. You know, you can't afford a single mistake when you play Liverpool. And yeah. he did that. And, that, you know, you're, you're down to 10 men already. It was just total deflation. You could just he see it. Nice, he made a couple of nice saves. But, you know, you looked at him, the giveaway and a few other things and, they went to the stands, and there's Peter Check writing furiously in a notepad. Like, <laughs> what? Well, just writing furiously, this guy really is bad, and yeah. he's the highest-paid keeper in the world. That's the problem is they're going to eat a ton of money when they move this guy. So um, bad you know, Spurs trounced Southampton 5-2. Yeah, Son, Son I mean, has fire, man. four goals. I mean, I, Son is, I think, the most underrated player in the EPL. The guy is just a fantastic player, you know, not only a goal scorer, just unselfish, works hard. Harry Kane had four assists. Again, but this is the Jekyll and Hyde of Spurs. You know, it's like they come out, they do put up a 5-2, and then just as easily this weekend they could lose 1-0 to a, you know, a middle table club. So I, I, I'm just not sure where they're going. I, I do know that, you know, Gareth Bale is going to infuse them. That's with some energy. It's a matter of – you know, are they going to play him when he played for Spurs? He kind of played in different spots, but he was really effective on the right cutting in onto his left foot, right? Which is now kind of the standard thing is you put a left-footed player 
over on the right so he can cut in. So that'll be interesting. And then it just, and then it just seems like Deli Ali is out the door. Seems like his days are numbered there. Somebody will pick him up. And I, I think he can, I, I don't think he's done career wise, but it's, he's done at Spurs. I think. You think so? Cause I, I think I do. You know, he's lost enthusiasm, obviously playing. And I know uh, Mourinho tried to you know puff him up in the beginning and it just hasn't seemed to. Well, it was, he was waning with Pochettino and then Mourinho, when Mourinho came in, there was a little bit of a, like a reboot and his play went up a little bit and now it's down again. And they're talking about, his attitude and said, when, whenever that stuff starts leaking out, it's usually, you know, your days tend to be numbered. So there's that. And then, and then just quickly Leeds United continues to impress. I mean, they beat Fulham four, three, they're scoring goals in bunches. You know, the question is how many goals are they going to concede? You know, kind of like the, I don't know if you guys remember the Phoenix Suns when Steve Nash was the guy running that team, essentially. Yeah. Mike D'Antoni was the coach and they would score 140 points, but they'd give up like 142 or right. whatever. So is Leeds just going to be one of these teams that can score boatloads of goals, but is going to concede a ton of goals too. And where do they end up at the end of this? But they are just fantastic to watch. Uh, and fantastic to watch again, De Bruyne, um, man, Man City gets past the Wolves 3-1. And he's just a machine. Three goal by him, Foden and Jesus. Um, and again, De Bruyne, the man of the match. I did, that guy just picks his spots and just he's such a well-rounded player. You know, you know they, it was funny because City kind of controlled the match for the first 60 minutes and then they kind of, I don't know what happened, they, tuned, they, they turned off. and They have a tendency to do that. Yeah, Wolves scored, Wolves scored. Wolves came very close to equalizing and then Jesus got the late goal to win. But again, I, I feel, I think City is really starting to sort out their back four and once that happens that was their Achilles heel last year. Once they get that sorted out, they are going to be really tough to beat. Grill, do you notice when, when we go into EPL, Sam gets really quiet. He just, he just doesn't. No, do no, it's, it's okay. It's, 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 it's a church. He's, like he's, just, respect. he's sitting there behind his desk, <laughs> behind the computer, just dreaming of Syria. Ah. <laughs> and when it will start again, Hey, Bundesliga, a lot of exciting things going on in Syria. Bayern Munich picked up uh, just where they left off. Schalke ate it, so that was that was a big one. We talked, we mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and then MLS, Columbus, Philly, and Seattle remain the top three teams in the league. And I want to talk about uh, this with uh, Mike Waitola, who's uh, coming up in just a bit. But uh, Jazzy Sardis, nine goals and three assists in twelve games. He's played for um, he's played for Burhalter at Columbus, and so they know each other. I think we'll have to ask Mike whether he thinks he's going to get another look. Yeah, and I and I've been one of his biggest critics because I just like when he plays for the U.S. Men's National Team, even though he's I think he scored five goals last year, mm-hmm. it just like his first touch is 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 so <laughs> it's so awkward, you know. It's, it's like, like the ball is bounding in front of him all the time. But hey, I can't argue with the results right now. Right, he you know he's got wheels, and uh, you know it's that that typical thing grail and sam we you know guys we've played with some guys are just goal scorers they just happen to be in the right place at the right time and it's not by coincidence it's they're they have that nose to the net now there's been some odd goals that jazzy scored but he's always sniffing around he's always there you know and he scored some great ones and some not so great ones but goals are goals i mean don't you think wando falls into that category i mean it's kind of like the guy could never really make it with Wanda was a machine. Year he scored after- a lot of league goals. That was his issue, though. He's, he scored tons of goals in the league, but when he came when it came for playing for his country, he um, just jammed up. 
Yeah, well, no. In that one time he jammed up where he would have made, uh, you know, Klinsman look like a, a genius where oh. you, give that, you give that opportunity to, to Wando – uh, eight out of ten times he's finishing it. It's just too bad. And, you know, with such a great career, I hate that that still hangs over his head. The one miss he's got in front of the net against, uh, who was it, Belgium, I think. Yeah, I think it was Belgium, um, yeah. You know, that, that's, that's his, I, I, I just don't go there. A player is, you got to judge his entire career, and, and he's had a hell of a uh, career. One player who's just kind of coming up, and who knows where he winds up next, is, uh, you know, the under-20 national team player, Sergino Dest. Uh, Byron and Barcelona. We'll talk to Mike about that as well. Um, but that's a big move. And that's another American player. I mean, he's, he's spent and played a lot of time here, even though he grew up in the Netherlands. But um, this should be fun. Another Not a bad option. Yeah. Is it, but let me see. Bayern or Barca? <laughs> Where do I want to go? Of course, it depends on who bids the most money for him. Right. Well, most money, but uh, that's not the only thing. I mean, you got to go where um, I'd go to Byron just because they seem to be a little more stable or a lot more stable, obviously, than what's up. You know, we talked about this last week. What's going on with Barcelona? Nobody yeah. knows that's a, the, the wheels have come off that bus. So, uh, so speaking, of, speaking of Barcelona, sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah. So Suarez has left. Uh, he's joined Atletico Madrid on loan and also Arturo Vidal has gone to, to Inter. Um, a I, funny I story, a though. Fan. I was never a big fan, Sam, of Vidal. I always thought Vidal. he was overrated, and I thought he was just kind of ran around like a maniac. Yeah, yeah, he's like a bad Western. You like? I mean, do you th- do you think much of him? Um, I, you know, when he was on Juventus, is when I really the only time I watched him consistently, and he was pretty solid in that midfield. Okay. Um, I feel like he's not asked to do as much then as he is now, and be like a box to box midfielder. He was more yeah. of just a like defensive midfielder back then. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think he's a little old now. It, it wouldn't I be my choice for a signing, but, um, but also there's a funny story about Suarez because he was on the verge of joining Juventus. It looked like, but he had to pass an Italian language exam, uh, in order to get an Italian <laughs> passport. Pass a Spanish exam for God's sake. Um, and he came and he took this exam, which he passed, but then ended up joining Atletico. Anyway, the move fell through. Um, and now all these questions are being raised about, you know, the true validity of this test um, if he wasn't, you know, maybe slipped an answer or two uh, well, beforehand. So you are under a language though. So, you know, Spanish and Portuguese. You would think, you would think he'd be able to, to get by, but you never know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of those guys speak three, four languages. Yeah, I mean, well, Flores doesn't look like he's one of them. I would <laughs> yeah. imagine. So, um, he'll, he'll help Atletico though. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good signing for Atletico. And actually, yeah. Al, uh, Alvaro Morata uh, went to Juve, back to Juve. So okay. that'll be an interesting uh, one. Yeah, I feel like Suarez will have a point to prove, Sam, you know? I, yeah. I, I, I just I have a feeling that he's going to end up having a good season. Plus that attitude that he has. He's always got a chip on his shoulder. He's always, you know, biting and punching and doing whatever. <laughs> and that's the whole – that's Atleti, man. He'll fit right in there with that. Well, attitude. he's also just – you know, you can say what you want about Suarez, and I got some major issues with his personal behavior, but he's one of the hardest working right. forwards in the world. I've never seen a guy chase down guys the way he does. Right. Um, no U.S. men's national team games until um, – at least late November, so around Thanksgiving, I guess, if that even. Uh, no one no one knows what's happening. The they may have to wear name tags at that first practice. Flight. Yeah, exactly. But they were supposed to gather in October, but that's been called off uh, due to, to 2020, this hellacious year we are living God. through. Um, so anyway, a friendly versus a European team uh, is expected in Europe in November. So uh, so good stuff. So a lot, a lot happening. And then um, 
I wanted to talk quickly, guys, about uh, Frank De Boer being named the Netherlands manager. I, you know, so Koeman leaves, he goes to Barcelona, and De Boer, you know, is failing upwards, isn't he? I don't know what to make of this one. I mean, I, I've not followed his time very closely yeah. in MLS, but um, he was a disaster at Inter, which I think was his first gig. And then right. he went to Crystal Palace, where he didn't even make it through a season. Right. And I don't, I mean, the old, my only thinking on this is that some managers seem to be more cut out for the international game than they do the club game. Right. Um, you know, they're not as much about the day-to-day contact as they are the, the big picture. And maybe he's one of those guys, but I, I don't know. I mean, to me, if, if this doesn't work out for him, I don't know, I don't know where he goes. Well, he, he clearly had to have, you know, the, whatever the board is that the, the, the Netherlands soccer board, the equivalent of FIFA, uh, obviously thought highly of him. I'm, I'm sure that uh, Kuman uh, put in a word because as the outgoing manager, I'm sure he would, it's not his decision, but he would certainly do it. And, and, and yeah, but the, it's a Dutch his, thing, baby. It's a Dutch thing. Yeah. But the history just is not good. It's, well, his it, most recent club was Atlanta at FC. I uh, replaced yeah. Ata Martinez there and, and, you know, I don't want Mike Goitola to get a big head, but he, he did basically predict that, going down the drain a totally different style one that really hasn't translated or has done well at any place he's been so yeah um, i'd be more concerned about his international club failures than mls that to me is like you know that could have just been a personality thing who knows but uh hey so what happened in roma let's go back to your syria uh sam uh, roma had a forfeited game after miss listing a player on their roster and other irregularities <laughs> I mean, I mean, other level really other irregularities like, no that that was the only irregularity <laughs> in that case so they uh you know i'm sure some will find this wonderfully italian perhaps but uh they mislisted um diawada their central midfielder i think he had turned 23 like a week before and they listed him as a u22 player so it's a pretty small discrepancy. Oh, sh- and, that's, you know, they, they claimed that it was made, you know, in good faith. Um, anyway, the game finished 0-0 against Verona, but uh, Verona were given a 3-0 victory for the, um, Let me you ask know, you something. for the well, mishap. Why would, that, why would that benefit anyone to mislist a player with such a, an, a measly sort of type of it, whatever it is? What, well, what is I, I agree. I just think, you know, that the rules clearly states if you, you know, misrepresent somebody on your roster. Uh, I'm sure the rule is designed for much bigger, um, you know, yeah, uh, irregularity, yeah, infractions, but um, it's just unfortunately the letter of the law. Uh, the best the best part of the story is, though, the guy that did it, the general secretary, um, whose name I forget, uh, a day or two later ended up joining Verona um and getting a new job there so i don't you know i don't want to perfect yeah that's uh, italian yeah hey flitty it sounds a lot like the cosmopolitan league that you and i used to play and we actually tried on the team that you and i were on the manhattan kickers many many moons ago we actually tried to play a white player under a black person's black player's pass which was not a good move and the oh that's right how how much they look at the player (laughs) the referee dismissed that uh, right out. That wasn't going to fly. But yeah, I mean, I, Sam, I can't even believe that something like that could happen in a a league of that stature. I remember uh, playing in the U.S. Open Cup and we beat a team from uh, Newark, New Jersey, like the Newark Italians or something. Guy headbutts me uh, on the nose, missed it. I turned my cheek. He got it. He gets red carded, thrown out. Uh, 
day later, he's playing in the, uh, you know, the two loser matches, two loser games, and he's on the pitch, even though it was, he, he used a different player's passport, you know? And so then I have to, I'm sitting in the stands watching, and I'm like, do you out him? Or like, who cares, you know? It'll follow you <laughs> at home in your car or something. So, exactly. You know? It's not worth it. But I, that's why I was surprised that, like, you know, a league of, of that stature and that level, like the same stupid stuff is going on. I remember, you know, around the national team when Steve Moyers forgot his passport. It was like, what? He couldn't play. He had forgotten his passport. They had to send him home. So, uh, Well, guys, don't you remember, where was it, Sam, in Italy last year where they had those, uh, was it not the FIFA headquarters? Maybe it was the headquarters of Syria where they had the monkey cartoons remember during the whole racism thing yeah, going yeah. on mm-hmm. in syria don't you remember they came up with some campaign that and the images were actually of monkeys mm-hmm. yeah that, that was a syria campaign <laughs> so, yeah. so, so yeah. there you go Italians, <laughs> yeah. guys you know after they're trying to combat racism and people <laughs> making monkey sounds and throwing bananas out in the field that's what you come up with and that, the explanation was that this this man is a world famous artist. And it was like, yeah, he was an idiot. Now he's a world famous racist. Yes. Or or just totally tone deaf. All right, so a thousand fans were allowed in the stadiums this weekend in Italy, and close to five thousand in some German stands. Did you any of you guys catch any of those games with with fans in the stands? Yeah, uh, I did. Unfortunately, they seemed to let the fans in the stands on the same side as the camera was. So the game looked absolutely no different on television. But um, you did hear uh, at least a little more, you know, vocal participation. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, let's wrap it up there. We'll get uh, take a quick break. Talk to Mike Watola. I'm really interested to get Mike's view on a lot of these American players and how they're doing. And, And basically... You know, Grail, you're talking about the system, Burhalter. How does this affect us with all these players now we have to choose from? A large, a large group of guys uh, in Europe, uh, the MLS is playing. Um, so hopefully we can, we can qualify with ease whenever qualification happens. So, all right, listen to Over the Ball. We'll be back right after this with Soccer America's Mike Wojtola. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now, the executive editor of Soccer America. You know him. We love him. Mr. Mike Wojtola. Mike, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing great. Great to be back. All right, so we've got to give you your props right up here, uh, straight up. Uh, you called it a long time ago when Atlanta hired uh, DeBoer. You said you didn't think it was going to work out. In fact, you knew it wasn't going to work out. And guess what? It didn't work out. But did you predict that he would take the job managing the Netherlands? He's failing up, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, what, what, that happens all the time in coaching, right? You guys recycle guys who, uh, um, you know, failed in the last place and maybe even the place before. And then uh, other people don't get a chance because they don't have experience, but then they can't get experience because they're recycling everybody else. That's like those TV sitcoms where they just keep putting the same star in a new show over and over until he finally hits one. Um, kind of annoying. So, exactly. um, all right. So he takes over for uh, – for- um, well, no. Well, he takes it for Coyman there, yeah, and, at the Netherlands. And um, what do you think of uh, of that? I mean, uh, what do I? I don't even know what I'm asking. I mean, basically, Coyman is at 
is now at Barcelona. He leaves the Netherlands. Not a bad job to take. You certainly have enough horses to work with there. You think he's going to have any success because he knows the system? Yeah, he was um, he was on the Pep Guardiola teams, right? Um, and the, the yeah. coach teams, and um, which makes sense in the fact that they need to go back to you know more like what they were when they were at their best because I think they signed some players that didn't to me seem really like Barcelona players, um, and you know just just kind of reboot things because that was a pretty miserable thing. You know, Barcelona seemed to have the same problem that the Yankees had. Uh, Grail, you could probably jump in on this one where you <laughs> kept buying stars but not thinking about a cohesive team, a cohesive unit, and um, a lot of them didn't pan out. So, I mean, I know with a, you know if you're talking baseball, Grail, you, could, you have a yeah. great – you can dominate a game, so you bring in a great pitcher. That's one thing. But players, right. you know, so – Yeah, I, well, they – you know, it's, it's – They're having a problem. It, in any sport, it's all about chemistry, right? And you don't, and uh, you could have you can have three of the best players in the world in any sport, and if they can't play together, it doesn't work. So it'll be, you know, Komen though was kind of a descendant of Johan Cruyff, and I think he kind of learned under him. So it'll be interesting if they move towards that style that was really successful in Barca during those years. Um, that would be my, my inclination would be that he'd move more towards that. But again, he's got to, he's got to replace a number of players there. I mean, they, they, they just, they're short of three or four really quality players from the back to the front. So we'll see. Well, he's come in, Mike, and you can comment on this. He's come in pretty heavy handed, hasn't he? Um, he's going to move Suarez. Um, it looks like some players are leaving. Yeah. Told him, you know, and then maybe the messy trouble and then the president, we talked about that last week on the show. So a lot of tumult. Yeah. It, it, I mean, um, one thing that'll be interesting to see is uh, how Conrad uh, De La Fuente does, um, you know, does he actually have a chance to get playing time or to, to get more playing time to start or are they going to loan him out? You know, that's a pretty incredible story. He's a kid who um, is from Florida and was quite young, moved to, Spain and was able to because I believe his father worked at the Haitian um, consulate and so that enabled him to move as a minor um, but he certainly spent a lot of time playing soccer in Florida and obviously you know he's been on the youth national team so he was magic on the under 20s and he played well I thought yeah it's I mean watching the Americans abroad right now is uh, probably one of the most fascinating things I've witnessed in my hundred years of uh, soccer journey yeah you know that that we we talked about that at the top of the show, Mike. But let's go over that a little bit. Some of these players that um, you know, because the national team basically, and we talked about this last week, where there's that transitional period. Like uh, let's say we had Jeff Vegas on, and Jeff sort of brought the team, you know, uh, halfway to the cup, and then he started to fade a little bit, and newer players started to come in, and he said that there's this kind of bleeding process where you bleed into one another. But here. We've had such a pause, a pregnant pause with the national team. Like, we're gonna, are we gonna see a completely new team or uh, well, seven guys we haven't seen out there together before? It's interesting because they made, you know, they made the announcement about the national team not playing in October at the next window. I think it was October, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, that's not a bad thing, and I'll tell you why. Because right. these guys who are getting playing time in Europe at a rate that we've never seen before and with teams you know we used to be really excited if uh back in the kind of started in the 90s a little bit in the late 80s an american got some playing time in europe we got all excited about it you know yeah 
Um, and now we're keeping track, Paul Kennedy, I mean, the, the, the work it takes to keep track of all these players, because it's not just the big time guys, but you've got players scattered in American players in 13 different leagues. Um, and for title contenders in uh, England, Italy, Germany, um, you know, that's a pretty fantastic achievement for American soccer. Yeah, you know, and, um, you know, you mentioned Paul and the job he does sort of tracking down where these guys are. Some of the names I, I didn't really know, um, heard them vaguely, but, you know, some guys we know, like obviously Gio Reyna, he had the, the goal um, for his team, and Tyler Adams, uh, and Weston McKinney. Uh, we talked about that at the top with, with Sam. But, um, about that. Well, what the and what I meant about the national team not playing, not being the worst thing in the world, is that it gives these guys a chance to really focus on their clubs yeah. um, and get experience. Yeah, and um, it's always been tough for American players to um, national team duty because it's a lot longer of a trip um, than it is for obviously the Europeans. So, you know, the, many of these players are, are young and. Um, I mean, one thing that's going to help, too, is how many games the um, European teams have. You know, Germany is going to compress more soccer into the next uh, six months than it ever has. You know, they're starting earlier in January. Uh, A lot of these American players are involved in Europe. Um, So, you know, I think that's by probably the best barometer of player development progress is the number of Americans having success in foreign teams because if you look at these teams they're international all-star teams basically right Mm -hmm. you've got Americans at teams right now like Juventus and Chelsea who can sign any player they want in the entire world and they've got you know an American in there. Grail? Yeah uh, Mike um, kind of along those lines I actually think it's November. I think they're pushing the games back till November for the U S men's national team, even more time. I'm just curious your thoughts, you know, cause Burhalter is such a fan of, you know, the system. We always kind of give him grief about this Burhalter system. You give him grief about the system. That, that's fair. I give him grief. No, no but so, so the question Mike is this is, you know, you you've got so many Americans playing such good club soccer right now that uh, do you think Burhalter's going to be flexible enough to just basically bring the players that are playing best into camp and maybe make that the focal point as opposed to it being all about the system? Because the system has its limitations in terms of he, who you would select. Yeah, no, I think he should definitely abandon the, like, you know, right right back turns into a central midfielder and this guy moves here and this guy moves there. And, yeah. and if you, if you remember the games where they did poorly, you saw players in parts of the field and you're like, what's he doing there? And, um, and I get that he was trying to do something. Um, no, I, I think you do, you know, you have got a four, four, two or whatever you want to do. And you tell Weston McKinney, you know, Weston McKinney and, and, and Tyler Adams, put them in the same positions they play at their clubs. Right. Um, you know, you, you have, cause I think they, you know, McKinney all of a sudden is like a playmaker center forward when it comes to the national team, you know, have him be the, the, the incredible defensive midfielder that he is. And a guy who brings the ball up, um, but covers for a, a Gio Reyna and a Pulisic and Pulisic play the same type of position he play in 
uh, he plays with his club, you know, he, not turn him into a playmaker, make him more of the, the you know, like he really thrives, I think, on the wing and, and, and mm-hmm. zipping around. So, yeah, no, don't do anything. F- you don't have to do anything complicated. You put these guys in the positions they're best at. You fill in the, the slots. You know, if there's anything about a system, then maybe you, you have it suit the talent you have. I would pick the best 11 players uh, that can kind of create the right structure. And then the style is going to be um, what suits these guys best if I were the coach. Yeah. Mike, you mentioned how difficult it is for American players abroad to handle national team duty with all the travel. And I'm wondering, is there any sort of movement towards a semi-permanent base in Europe for the U.S. national team uh, and instead bringing guys over from MLS just to give the guys in Europe a little bit of an easier time? Well, but the the... the they have to come back here anyway. Right. I mean, um, it's what I would do is be a little careful with thinking all oh, these guys are doing super in Europe. Um, so they're the guys we use. Remember the, um, couple of the Klinsmann games where he goes down to Honduras, uh, and uses all the guys who'd been playing in, uh, you know, 40 degree Fahrenheit, uh, temperature in Germany and England, but they're playing in Europe. So they're the bit, I mean, in Germany or wherever. So they start and just wilt under the, so I'm so what I'm saying is that you, um, you, you use the right balance between your European guys and your MLS guys who are, might, might be better suited for some of these games. Um, obviously when you have games in Europe, then you can just use, basically you use those European games. I mean, we're in a time of COVID. So a lot yeah. of this is, is, is on hold. Um, but you know, to get, to kind of circle back, um, you know, we've criticized certain things about how the U S youth system has been working and, 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 and pointed out flaws in the past, but I think this is a good time to, you know, to really see that there was some great, great progress because these guys were developed in the United States that I'm, that I'm talking about, you know, Weston McKinney was an FC Dallas player since he was 11. Um, you know, Giorena was a development academy player with uh, NYCFC. Um, obviously, the guy like him, I think, is so talented. He probably could have come out no matter what path he took. But uh, there's no doubt about the fact that, um, you know, that's a pretty impressive indication of, of, of a, oh, I think we're at a tipping point, um, you know, with the guys in Europe. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's been interesting to watch because even going back to 94, Mike, when we were, you know, with Bora and everybody, there was the big thing between the European players and the, the domestic players. And there was a sort of a love-hate relationship there and um, being set, uh, treated differently. Uh, we saw it with uh, Jurgen sort of had this European thing and, and they had the domestic guys. I think MLS has gotten to the level where there's a good solid base here. So some of the players can, can sort of fill in. Uh, but you do have these young stars that are, uh, you know, there's there's no downside, I think, to it. This yeah. is only an upside. And as you said, this is the hard thing about, you know, planting seeds years ago, 11 years old, Weston McKinney, you know, takes a long time to for the plant to grow, you know. And uh, so hopefully we have a couple of, of good, decent European players now. And Pulisic, a captain at Chelsea and, you know, playing really well I, you know I'm really excited to see the national team play see what they look like because these guys have gotten some really great experience I mean playing for Juventus in the midfield for 90 minutes I mean um this is this is all good stuff how, how do you think we're going to do in qualifying when this does open up I mean we'll have some games in November hopefully I, I don't know how but apparently uh I mean I I think this they should do well um 
and uh, again with COVID, we don't know. I mean, I think you know, do they put the teams in the bubble? But the, the one advantage the United States might have is um, hopefully not because I want a quick recovery from COVID. But not not having the fans, you know, that, that make make it difficult to play in some of these Concacaf teams. But um, you know, I think the U.S. national team should be very well poised to handle whatever. What do you think about Sergino Dest? Where do you think he should wind up? I mean, it looks like Barcelona or, or Bayern. Not not a bad choice, really, if you think about it. Um, where do you think he would fare better? That's a great question. Um, I mean, if both those teams are after him, I think he, he, he'll do well in either. Um, as far as, you know, the U.S., from the U.S. national team point of view, that's a, it's a win-win. Um I can't imagine they would be throwing that kind of money around if they didn't, if they weren't thinking he was going to get playing time and step right on the field. But that would be, you know, the key. Um, in my thinking, if I were him, that he he plays. You know, um, I mean, Bayern has a pretty good reputation. Alfonso Davies they put in the reserves for a little longer at the time. I mean, you look back on it; it was only a few months, but and now he's a big time start. So. Um, yeah. It'll be pretty interesting. Well, that that speaks to your point, Mike, about basically these young guys getting a shot at their club and they need time to acclimate, sort of figure out, you know, how they're needed there. And um, that's the hard part about, like you said, coming back for national team duty. A lot of guys really didn't want to come back for a while there because they were on the cusp of either, you know, more playing time or something. So Yeah, one thing about Dest is that he's, he's different, right, because he was raised in, 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 in Holland and that's, he's yeah. not really a U.S. product. However, you know, he spent his um, – youth national team years with the u.s and and was enthusiastic about staying with the u.s even though he was starting to get courted by the dutch uh and i think that again that that that's just a good time to sort of give credit where credit is due and um that i think that had a lot to do with john hackworth and, and tab ramos and the u.s youth national team staff that they saw this kid and they made him feel comfortable and um and i think maybe you know his world cup youth world cup experiences very well have contributed to his you know, pretty rapid rise. Yeah. And uh, you know, that under 20 team, we've talked about them a lot on this show before um, they, they played well. And apparently from all um, indications, they're a close unit. The guys are really, really tight with each other. They have, they're on a WhatsApp together. They keep in touch with each other all the time. So, you know, you go to war with your, your buddies, your band of brothers, and um, it's a, it's a, a tough fit. You know, you want to stay with them. Uh, Grail. Yeah. So, so Mike, just quickly on the desk thing, what, what's also interesting is the whole Ronald Koeman connection, right? Since he was trying to uh, basically recruit him for the uh, Netherlands national team uh, back when he was running it. And now of course he's in Barca and that'll be interesting if he has some sway with Dest now that he didn't have back then. But uh, just uh, going back to U.S. men's national team a little bit, uh, Giazzi Zardes has been playing really well for Columbus. Yeah. He's been lighting it up. Do you think the door still may be open for him with the U.S. men's national team, or has that closed? Or what do you think his status is with? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, obviously, Bear Halter and him have a long, good relationship. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I I love seeing that goal that he scored. It was a great goal. And yeah, you know, Zardes is one of those players who has gotten such a hard time. Um, you know, so much criticism and, and, you know, Paul Kennedy wrote about it and how, 
you know, he scored a couple of the craziest goals that were kind of oh, that yeah. were like an accident where he gets hit in the head and <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> Um, and, you know, he's missed, there were some runs where he would, you know, miss some pretty obvious chances, but, you know, he'd still pop up and do something. And he, he, I think well, again, he might look back on him like, you know, in years as being a very sort of likable, um, you know, pretty yeah. decent player. He's such okay. a nice guy. You know, we had him on the show. The first time I remember we had him on the show, when we were over at Sirius XMFC and it was, uh, I saw this kid with the blonde, you know, blonde dyed hair. And I'm thinking, all right, we're going to have um, sort of a cocky, you know, soccer player, which we're all used to dealing with those guys. Right. And, oh, he was the most humble, sweet, soft-spoken kid. And we're like, I go, hey, what's up with the hair? He goes, oh, well, this is the only way that my grandmother can, you know, t- she can tell where I'm on the field. I'm like, what a, what a sweet answer. What a, a nice kid. But, you know, he reminds me in the way that he glides around the field. It doesn't look like he's making a big effort. And there's always those people like a, like a Mesut Ozil where they, they criticize him because he's, he's just not doing that uh, premier league workout, you know, where you're going up and yeah, down. I mean, I'd like to see a, you know, a center forward who, you know, is a little bit smoother and, 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 and technically a little bit, you know, but um, you know, that goal was awesome. The, the back yeah. scored and, yeah. yeah, he does have a clanky first touch. That that's always been one of the the knocks against him is that is that it's hard for him to keep the ball within like five yards of his foot. But uh, but he's hey he's scoring goals, so something's working. Yeah. Well, here, here you know there's that sort of streaky you know forward. But you know we watch Lewandowski play in the Champions League, and it's like oh my god, he's just just a, he's he's playing with his back to the net. He gets his head on things. I mean you know on both sides of it, but. That coming back to the ball, the sort of role that um, uh, place of Toronto, I'm going, Josie Altidore played. You know, Josie could sometimes play with his back to the net and distribute for for guys, but you got to be able to do both of them. And I think that's where I think Josie has a difficult time with his back to the net. Sort of. Just I got to tell you, can I tell you one of my favorite Eric Winola stories about back to the net? Yeah. So this is Eric. What Eric told is that he uh, he got a chance to meet Pele when he was like a teenager. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to get some advice from the greatest player in the world. And so he told Pele that um, his coaches are telling him he needs to learn how to play with his back to the net. And Pele said, why would you want to have your back to the net? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You're just going to be go. going the other direction. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to always tell this story, but I, I was at the uh, Cosmos you know, summer camp as a counselor and they used to pull me on the field to play with the guys. It was just ridiculous, you know, unbelievable. But when Pele came, I asked the, the Brazilian guys how to say Pele, welcome to my country. I was just, you know, he was coming to the camp and um, I practiced all week how to say it in, in Portuguese. And when I finally saw Pele, we all lined up. I was the only American there and everybody was saying hello to Pele. And I said, Pele, puta que pariu, which is Pele, your mother's a prostitute. And all the guys, all the guys laughed. They totally set me up. And they lost him. He, he just he looks at me and he looks at the reaction of all the Brazilians laughing. And he's like, Oh my friend, you need to learn Portuguese. <laughs> yeah, when you think wow. about it, Flinny with Pele, he was always coming onto the ball. Right. When you think about it, he was always coming onto the ball. His his running was just spectacular. His look, I noticed up. that with and look, a different level, but obviously a great play was with Claudia Arena. Claudio Reyna always had space and I keyed on him a couple times, even when he was at UVA where 
when you, how you make the run and where you make the run is so important and all that timing. And, you know, most yeah. guys in college are just sort of drifting into the space or following the ball. Claudia would always figure out where to be and then yeah. come in. Uh, Claudia was amazing. And, and I was, you know, Geo, they, the ESPN put up the video that we uh, embedded where they showed all of his touches and um, it was pretty incredible. You know, I think in a way he's, he's a different player than Pulisic and, uh, and going to be very important for the national team because he's, 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 he's more of a playmaker. Yeah. And it was amazing how he, he covered a pretty, a lot of the field and almost never lost the ball and uh, passed. Well, I think he had the stats for like 30 out of 30 and on the goal, if you watch the goal, you know, it's all in a pretty tight area, but he makes a clever run and the guy sees him. It, it happens very fast and you, you, it looked kind of simple when you first see it, but you thought, you know, that was just a smart thing he did. And he's playing with guys who, you know, pick up on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's great to see smart players like that. I mean, we, you know, cause some of the other guys, I mean, um, I mean, McKinney obviously and, and Adams are extraordinary players, but they're not, uh, you know, they're more, a little bit more of your workhorse types uh, were, you know, Reina really, I think we could have a, very interesting type of playmaker, the guy who does the unpredictable things that take a team above, you know. Yeah. Plus, well, plus, Mike, he's playing with three other guys on Dortmund who are 20 years or young, or 20 years older or younger. So they've got an amazing blend of that youth and some experienced guys. And I mean, Dortmund's just an incredibly exciting team to watch. Yeah, no, it's neat. Hey, let's, let's shift a little bit to, to the women's game. Um, you know, a lot of uh, high-profile players have left um, temporarily, I guess. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Or, or here we are, we're getting away from the World Cup a little bit now. That's sort of in the rearview mirror. Um, can they sustain the fans, you know, owners, sponsor enthusiasm uh, when they lose these American players like that? Uh, it's it's going to be very tough, tough because um, it's kind of a, you know, we're in the gap years with the national teams and you've got the big stars aging out and – also because of COVID, not a lot of chances to, to kind of build new stars. And then, the, you know, the veterans going to England, um, I get why they're doing it. It's kind of a swan song. I mean, it's not like the you know, English league average is like nothing, right? I mean, I mean right. it doesn't matter now because fans aren't coming anyway. But Yeah, but, but let me ask you this, Mike. I would have thought oh. you would have had a little more, sorry, a little more loyalty to the NWSL. I mean, they never generally yeah. really cared about that league, you know, very, very, very few of the women's national team players ever seem to really give it a hundred percent effort. Um, and, you know, I think these women are incredible and will go down in history as, uh, you know, role models and some of the best players in the world, but uh, they could have shown a little more respect for the domestic league, which is so, so important to women's soccer. Well, it's important ultimately to the, the national team. And, you know, you see how long it took MLS to develop and NWSL, you know, I used to say this after the World Cup, so you want to support the women's national team, support your domestic you know, team. Yeah, team in town. And um, it just, and that's, you know, that, that really makes a big difference because if you do that, then they can support themselves financially. You know, I, I you know, go back to my profession. So there's no way you can ask for money, you know. Well, and it's, and it's also, Mike, it's also a real challenge for Lisa Baird, the commissioner, because you don't want to make too big a deal of it because you've got sponsors and owners who've invested a ton of money in it. So the more, the more of a big deal you make of it, the more you focus on it, which works, you know, which is a, which is a bad thing. 
for the owners and the sponsors. But the fact is you need to have the best – if this league is going to really thrive, you need to have the best players playing in it. The flip side is how can you turn down playing for Man United or Man City? But those teams aren't – I mean, okay, Man City has got a good team, but it's it, – it, it's kind of like the, you know, an, uh, an old player coming to, coming to America to play in a league that really isn't as good as the league that they came from. I mean, right. um, the, y- y- without some of these big names, especially the timing where y- you're, you're, even when you're trying to get fans in the stadium, so much about women's soccer and all soccer, but maybe more so in women's soccer because the teams haven't been around as long. It's the names of the players and now you get trying to get people to tune in, you know, domestic soccer on either gender has been a tough sell to get high ratings. And then you can't even use the only names that anybody knows. Um, so it's going to be a struggle. And the other thing, you know, the NWSL is going to have the same struggle that MLS has. Um, I believe more or less that MLS depends about 80% on ticket revenue and NWSL more than that. Um, I was trying to figure out how much the English Premier League uh, depends on ticket revenue, and, and I don't have the exact figures, but it's about the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge TV contracts there. Yeah, I saw yeah. an article for, from a couple of years ago saying that like half the teams, because of the TV money in England, half the teams could not have a, sell a ticket and still make a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one thing that's missing. The one thing probably that's really missing from MLS is major um, – TV revenue, mm-hmm. but they've got ridiculously rich owners. I mean, yeah. not all of them, but you, you're talking guys, multi-billionaires. So they're, they can weather the storm, uh, you know, the economic uh, NWSL, I think, uh, not that they don't have some money behind them, but you know, pretty big challenge for a women's league, it, any sport at any time, and especially now, and especially if you're going to, you know, you need those stars to sell. Yeah. And um, so they go over there for the money, obviously, but is the infrastructure better there? The training facilities? Because I mean, if they're. Oh, God, no, 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 no. You think of Manchester United, I, I have you a better must, setup, uh, you know. I bet you most of our, most of the top colleges have better facilities and training and uh, medical staff than um, English professional women's teams. Plus, we have better dental work here in the United States, obviously. <laughs> hey, um, Mike, when I ask you about uh, um, this parrot that landed on, on a, a Brazilian national team player's head, this, what is the story with that? You posted that on Soccer America, didn't you? Yeah, so uh, at Soccer America Daily, our e-letter, we post a video every day or a couple videos sometimes. And a lot of it is best goals of the week and things like that. But I love animal field invasions and uh usually it's a dog or a cat and this was a macaw which i guess is a big giant beautiful landed on a women's national team player uh and then the uh the assistant coach who must have like a is it called avery background or something yeah he, he brings a ball up to the i mean the, the woman looks a little bit uncomfortable as you might imagine this bird's giant and he brings a ball to her head puts the ball next to it and the, the macaw jumps on the ball Perfect. Perfect. Well, it's like a, it's like Siegfried and Roy with the birds. I love it. Um, great. Yeah, it reminded me actually of when Johnny Carson would have the animals yeah, on yeah, yeah. the show. Remember in like the monkey would end up on his head or whatever. 
<laughs> hey, so Mike, we got to get going in a bit here, but I wanted to ask you about the article. Uh, you went to a ghost game that you wrote oh, about. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, because that's you know just sound really funky, man. The, the yeah, article. most MLS games are still behind closed doors. I think there's a, just a couple where five, you know. So yeah, so San Jose earthquakes um, allowed a very few amount of journalists into one of their uh, ghost games. You know, that comes from the German Geisterspiel. Um, I mean, what, what I found really interesting was how extremely well organized it was, how safely they did it. They tiered the different uh, groups of people, the tier one being the players who get uh, tested every couple of days. And then guys like us who weren't tested um, just, you know, went through a exam, a diagnosis to make sure we didn't have anything, but we could never get an exam at all or like, yeah. Yeah. no, <laughs> but we could, we couldn't get near the tier one. So, um, and then the other thing was that was eerie, you know, it was really, I kind of felt sad sometimes, it, you know, you, everything's empty and, you know, there's, uh, you, you miss the fans and you don't have that fake noise, which I at first didn't like on TV because it's fake, but it's really odd watching a game without crowd noise. The players played like it was, you know, and very, very important. You couldn't tell any drop in form, yeah. uh, but you know, the other thing that was a little frustrating is you, you see all these professional leagues uh, with some hiccups, but generally doing a good job. And, you know, so we can do that, right? We can put professional athletes and, and, and in some cases, college athletes back to work. Um, but, you know, we, we can't test our grandparents or our teachers or our students or professors. And, you know, I have two sisters that are teachers. I'm very concerned, you know, about going back because it's, uh, you know, it's who knows. It's so... Uh, the whole country is going through that. Um, you know, so well, we went back on the field with the kids I coach, and um, we physical distanced. Um, and the was, amazing thing was just how much fun, even with the restrictions, just how amazingly wonderful it was to be on the field and how much fun the kids were having. And and we would have them do like skill work because that's easy to do with the social distancing, the kind of stuff that's kind of hard to get enthusiastic about. But I think because I hadn't been on the field for so long, you know, they really – had a great time yeah it's a it's a neat thing to be back on the field and also kind of a reminder that even that part of it was fantastic and um you know we don't have games yet in california but i think the the country can come up with a way to have kids play that isn't dangerous and and, and not rush the uh the tournaments and the travel and, and yeah you know, exactly. it's like you know try to get the kids on the field do it locally um you can do it safely if you if you don't travel too much in the off the field things you don't need a national championship that's you know you don't need all these all this travel at this point just get the kids having fun again let them play a little small-sided stuff you know you mentioned the um the basically the soundtracks in the back of the of the games. It's been interesting to watch because look here at soccer, you know, soccer, we've been watching games for months now with the background track. And what I have noticed is the guys have gotten better at picking the right sound at the right time. It's like, it's almost like DJs getting schooled, like they're better now. And so I'm kind of like, okay, you hear the rush of the audience when there's an almost a goal or that kind of thing. What's been funny for me to watch is how everybody here is complaining domestically about NFL and NBA, how the sounds aren't quite working there. They're having the same discussions we had four months ago, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's hysterical. So, all right, guys, have anything else for Mike before we get going here? No, I hope uh, no macaws land on your players' heads, Mike. <laughs> well, now still... you know what to do, though, if they do. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's not a macaw, but I'm, I'm from a town called Madison, Connecticut, on the shoreline, and about... 30 years ago, 
a truck was driving down I-95 and, and rolled over and birds got out, parrots. So in Madison, Connecticut, right on the beach, I rented this house one day on the beach and I opened up my door. There were thousands of parrots. <laughs> and I'm like, I went down to the, my friend who works, he's the town manager. I go, what's up with the parrots? He goes, that's an accident that happened in 1970. I'm like, oh my God. So they're out there. Be careful, kids. <laughs> Watch your watch your parrots. It's like it's like uh, Albert Hitchcock's the birds with the parrots Connecticut. So hey, Mike Watola from Soccer America, we uh, appreciate it so much you joining us here on OTB. Uh, you're a regular man. We get you up early uh, out there on the West Coast, but we appreciate you for being on the show today. Yeah, always my pleasure. Great to great to be back with you guys. All right. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, always good to talk to Mike Wojtola. This is going to be fun, guys, watching the national team, um, this new-look national team. Whenever we watch them. <laughs> Whenever we watch them. As soon as we get through 2020, my God, I can't wait for this year to be over. Um, so Let's good go. Stuff. We're Take building off. a little optimism at the very least. Yeah, you know, we've always had a player or two over there at one time, but it seems like we're getting maybe critical mass, hopefully, where we can have a core of six players, seven players that are getting, you know, huge international experience, or, or not just international experience, huge domestic, you know, in their own. Uh, but they're getting, and they're getting, I, I, th I just think those players are, are getting exponentially better playing over there. I think their growth, if they had stayed in MLS playing with the players they were playing with, their growth would have been, much less than going over there and playing with the best players. Though, so, though I do believe that MLS, the level has been raised to, to the point where it's a viable league and you, you know, it's, it's good play. Yeah. But playing for Dortmund or playing for Chelsea, is, I'm not it's, saying that, it's a lot different. Level, it's just not like it used to be. It's yeah. uh, these players are making the jump a lot easier because a lot before, you know, five years ago, six years ago, these guys, it was taking them a while to establish themselves in the first sure. team. They'd be out on loan. Well, this way, you know, here McKenny comes in, he steps into Juventus, plays 90 minutes, first time in. It's, it's, a, it's, it's part of the success of MLS. So uh, I, I think that's good. Hey, so um, Neymar, uh, you know, not, not always been a big fan of Neymar. I just don't like a lot of what he does. But uh, he's leaving Nike after, what, 15 years? Yeah, so 15 years, he's left Nike to sign with uh, Puma for $30 million a year. You know, when, when they sign people like Neymar and Messi and stuff, it's really a, it's, it's beyond soccer. It's like a lifestyle signing. Right. You're signing him to, to represent the brand, but also different lines of clothing, et cetera. I, I just think it's kind of a risky thing just because Neymar, uh, Neymar's behavior is so unpredictable. That, uh, you know, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch, some of the questionable things he's done, um, you know, he's, he's obviously a, a very well-known global personality. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it must have been a money thing, too, because to go, you know, Puma obviously is a, is a player, but they're not Nike and, uh, and maybe the writing was on the wall at Nike. Maybe he just kind of felt that yeah. that was going to run its course. That's how I took that is yeah. um, Neymar has not lived up to the hype. I, I believe he just, he has not, uh, he has not done it on any <laughs> level. I mean, as great as a player as he is at times, uh, the unnecessary crap on the ball, the unnecessary like rolling around, you know, and here's Messi, the other superstar there or, or Ronaldo where they just, they play and uh, they get it. And done. He got red, he got red carded in that last, 
game where they played Marseille, I think, and they had that huge dust up at the end of that game, and he got red carded for slapping a guy. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's just, uh, it's just like I just wish he would play. He's a, a very, very talented guy, but he's just there's always drama surrounding him. Well, he also hold on to the ball and tries to embarrass the player, and so you know he gets whacked and he wonders why. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket surgery, as they say. <laughs> hey, so. Uh, Speaking of my brain power, what do you got for us, Sam, with a little quiz today? Yeah, so my stats quiz corner at the end here. Um, So my stat contribution this week, I actually failed to mention earlier, but I uh, wanted to just let people know that McKenney had what I would consider a hockey assist in the game for Juventus, where he had a shot on goal that basically hit off the goalie's chest and then fell right to Bonucci, who scored. Uh, So this will not show up in any stats. That's Um, not an assist. Well, in hockey, that's an assist. And there were a few times that this happened in uh, the games I watched this past weekend. And I would like to see that be considered an assist in soccer. If you take a shot that a goalie is unable to hold and, you know, the ball falls right to another player in your team who scores, I think you should get an assist for that. But So should Kepa have gotten an assist on the Mane goal that he passed directly to him out, out of the goal? Should Kepa have gotten an assist for that? Sure, yeah. Let's start, start handing <laughs> them out. When keepers I, pass it directly to an opposing like, player. Well, these stats, you know, they aren't um, – you know, I love to watch guys off the ball. You know, like um, you watch certain players who play so well off the ball and it could be any sport, you know, watching Larry Bird as he used to play off the ball. It's like when he doesn't have it in his hands, what is he doing? Actually something constructive. But like those stat things used to, used to piss me off when I was playing in the league because there used to be the big stat for a defender was blocked shots. And yeah. I used to say, well, well that's you, – you've already – given up a few things if the guy's turned on you and he shoots. So it's sort of like the stolen pass, you know, you know stepping in or the not letting the, the player turn or forcing him outside. None of that stuff that you're supposed to do, the principles of defense. Uh, once you let all three of those go, the guy gets the ball, he receives the ball, he turns on the ball, and then he shoots. And that's what you're counting is blocked shots. It's like, yeah. Well, I, I know this stat's not going to you know solve anything, but I'd still like to see it. And Sam, and Sam, the assist is really a relatively new phenomenon for global soccer. I mean, mm-hmm. how many years ago? They never even counted assists 30 years ago, did they? How many? No, certainly not. Yeah, it's, it's, like in the last 10, 15 years, maybe? In Italy, I think it's, yeah, yeah. it's post, you know, millennium. So, yeah. Kind of crazy. Uh, So anyway, looking at the quiz now, um, I was taking a look at boot or cleat deals um, on the back of Neymar signing with Puma. Checked out the history a little bit. I was hoping to find out who the first player was to sign the sponsorship deal. I couldn't find that out precisely. Um, But here's what I do have. So I'm focusing just on Nike. We'll keep it domestic. Okay. Uh, And this is from the news or from the website news.nike.com. Okay. So in 1978, Nike signed their first soccer sponsorship with a professional team. Uh, Which team was it? 1978. Mm -hmm. Mm, I got to think back here. We're talking about a club team? Portland Timbers. Portland Timbers. No, but this could be global or is this? uh, Could be anyone. Any any team. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, 1978. I'm going to go with a big team. I'm going to go with like Man United. Okay, Kevin, you're right. It's the Portland Timbers staying local. Yeah. Whoa! Yeah. Flitty, how did you even know that? <laughs> well, they're from Portland, and that's right yeah. around the time when the NASL was still around. So, okay. uh, wow, I thought they yeah. were going to just go big. Although, yeah, I should have known. They weren't. Nike got into soccer a little bit later, so that was a dumb. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't know that because you're much. Good older. for you, buddy. No, that was well done. 
Okay, uh, question two. In 1982, Nike signs which men's soccer player to be the first official Nike football, Nike soccer athlete? 82. Yes. Men's player. 1982. My God, who was playing in 82? No, 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 no. That's, he was a Puma guy. And you're saying, and this can be any league too? Anywhere. Oh, anywhere. Who was playing in 82? That's oh, um, what uh, Biagio? He's going to uh, – no, because I – yeah, no, I'm not – okay, that's your pick. I'm going to go with um, – no, it wouldn't be Platini because he would have been Lecoq Sportif. Um, it's got to be an international player from that era. Nike. Nike. But 82 was such a long time ago. Who were the – Rivaldo, big... maybe? I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay, it's actually Ian Rush, uh, who was playing oh, for Liverpool at wow. the time. Um, hey, just, Rush, right up your alley, man. Yeah, you know, I just, you know, I just. Liverpool, he, great. Rush was a very understated guy, too. So I would have thought it would have been more of a, like a gas, a gazer type guy. So uh, just a note on that. In that same year, 1982, Sunderland became the first European soccer team to be sponsored by Nike. Well, they, they, they must have been like one of the few that were available. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, okay, in 93, who became the first women's soccer player sponsored by Nike? The first, I'm going to say official, Mia Hamm. First official Nike Mia women's Hamm. athlete. No, soccer. Uh, Michelle Akers. Mia Hamm, well done. All right, so you each got one here. Uh, so that's going to take us into the last question, which is Ooh, leaving, here it comes. leaving Nike. But uh, according to the UK newspaper, The Sun, Neymar now has the most lucrative uh, boot deal of any soccer player he's followed unsurprisingly by Messi Ronaldo and Mbappe so I wonder if you can tell me who is at number five on the list wow um, so that you behind eat? Neymar Messi Ronaldo and Mbappe okay so it's got to be somebody of that magnitude you know it should be like a like a Harry Kane or uh, yeah, well, let's. Um, okay, this is a tough question, so I'm going to give you guys a clue. Okay, um, give us a clue. Okay, the brand is Puma. Yeah. The player is 30 years old, and they are currently a free agent. Oh, Urzel? That's his guess. Urzel, yeah, that's uh, my guess. He's 30 years old. He's a free agent. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't. Okay. Mario Balotelli. Oh, my God. I, is he still <laughs> kicking he's around? Not, he's the fifth one on the list? Are you kidding yeah. me? Sam, 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 I'm going to throw a trivia question back at you right now. Go on. Name the teams that Balotelli has played for. We don't have that much time on the show. <laughs> Every you team that he's played for? You don't have to do it sequentially. Well, wow, you're yeah, I mean, it on the quiz band. I mean, I'll I mean, try. No, I'm I mean, assuming it's like eight teams, maybe. I'm not sure. Inter, uh, yeah. Man City, uh, yeah. Milan. Uh, where do you go from Milan? Then he went to played for Nice. He played for Marseille. Uh, then he played for Brescia. I think that's it. Didn't he, he do played. another EPL team? Besides me, oh, he's at Liverpool. He's yeah, at exactly. Liverpool. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he played St. Mary's of the pool. Like seven or eight, wasn't it? Yeah, eight. Yeah, Tim, that was pretty good. Eight. We got to give it up. Well yeah. done. Yeah. The quiz master, he actually got one. He a quiz within a quiz within a quiz. 
So, uh, all right, guys. Well, that's uh, all the time we have. Anything else before we go? No, I don't think Cover so. Everything? Good. All right. Yeah. All good. good. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Mr. Mike Oitola, uh, the guest with the most, as they say, from Soccer America. He's always great. It's always great to get caught up with him. And as we look forward to the national team playing soon, November, hopefully, we'll get a chance to, to look at it. And, Grail, you'll get to see if uh, the system is being played, as we <laughs> say. We're going with a 4-4-2, I hope. So uh, yeah. I'd like to thank our sponsors uh, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. 